You know, a stone isn't exactly alive, but that doesn't mean it doesn't speak. In fact, some stones have a very powerful story to tell. And today we're beginning this series that we're calling If These Stones Could Speak. Recently, I was uh, back in Minneapolis, and I drove by the house that I lived in when I was just in kindergarten. We were driving by, and I snapped a picture, and I saw those familiar stone steps that lead up to the front porch. And immediately, my mind went back to all the things that happened there in that house and right there on those steps and on the front porch. When I see those stone steps, I, I get just this flood of memories. I, I remember sitting there learning to shuck corn on the cob. I remember blowing on my little cheap harmonica I had, sitting there throwing dirt clods with Jimmy Westwood and walking down those steps to my first day of school wearing my favorite blue terry cloth shirt. Those stones tell so many stories about my childhood and who I am today. It all began right there. Or how about tombstones? I mean, I'm here in the mountain cemetery and each one is like a memorial to a life. When you look at that gravestone, it brings to mind that person and all the stories associated with it. There's one over there with Lois's name on it. A lot of you knew Lois, and you have a favorite Lois story. Remember how she used to sew all those costumes for the kids so they could dress up and act out their Bible stories. Kids knew her as the costume lady. And when I see that stone with her name on it, I think of Lois, and it, it kind of also just challenges me to want to be like her, to be faithful in my own right, and to love others like she did. There's one with Charlie's name on it. Charlie could build anything out of a hunk of wood. I still have a little stool in my kitchen that Charlie built. But Charlie didn't just build stools. He was on the committee to build the new church building that's behind me here. And those guys, they worked so hard back in those days. They, they sacrificed so much to make that happen because they believed that God was going to do something great through this church. But it was up to us just to make more room for more people, whoever God would send. And when I look at that stone, I think of Charlie, and it makes me want to, to sacrifice and work hard for God's kingdom as well. And there's stones all over this place with names like Ellsworth and Arlene and Henry and Claude and Charles and Joanne. These stones, they don't want us to forget their stories. And when you think of mountain, it's hard not to think of stones, right? I mean, a mountain is made of stone but also because the Mountain Church has stones everywhere. Like right where I am, here in the cemetery, was where the original foundation stones were laid for a little log cabin structure clear back to 1824. And then the stone on Walker Chapel and Cook Auditorium and then the stone walls in all of our campuses. The, the history of Mountain is told by those stones. Can you imagine if those stones could speak the kinds of stories they would tell of the lives changed and marriages restored and humble moments of surrendered worship that, have, that they've witnessed through the years. The Stones of Mountain would tell about addictions that were healed and commitment to Christ that was made and all the unleashed love that has happened through the years. And so here we are at the one-year mark of our two-year initiative called Unleashed Love, and we just want to pause and celebrate some of that and let some of the stones around mountain speak and we'll go at it by looking at some pivotal moments in the bible where stones play a huge role and have a story to tell and what we'll discover 
is that the stones still speak to us powerfully, not just about a bunch of stuff that happened a long time ago, but about things that God wants to say to us right now in our lives today. We want to help ourselves really grasp how stones can help us remember that God is faithful and that he's counting on us to be faithful to him. One day when Jesus was going in Jerusalem, the people were praising and applauding and singing to him. And the religious leaders, they didn't like it. They were offended and they told him, shush those people up, tell them to stop. And Jesus said, if I made them be quiet, these very stones themselves would cry out. Man, rocks have a lot to say if we'll just listen. So let's start by heading back to Joshua chapter 3 in your Bible. It's Old Testament. And this is where Israel has been waiting for centuries to cross into the promised land. And you remember, their famous leader was Moses. He's the one who led them out of Egypt and who parted the Red Sea and all of that. But the bad news is, before they get into the promised land, Moses dies. So they've got a new, young, inexperienced leader who's taking over, and his name is Joshua. You talk about having some big shoes to fill. I mean, he's 40 years younger than Moses. He doesn't have any experience. He's supposed to replace this guy. Man, and, and immediately, as soon as he steps in to the leadership role, he's also got the Israelites complaining. They're backsliders, always whining about stuff, and they want to go back to Egypt. They're not faithful to God. And then, on top of that, right smack dab in front of them, he's got a huge problem. The promised land he's trying to lead them to is over there. But between him and the promised land is the Jordan River. How in the world is he going to get all those people across that river? What good is all the promises of God over there if you can't get to them? I mean, even if he does manage somehow to get all those people across, the Bible says that the place, once they get there, it's crawling with enemies, fierce fighting people like the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Gesundites and the, I got to run in my tights and all those bad guys. So have you ever kind of gotten all excited about doing something big for God, getting on track with him. You said, yes, Lord, I'm going to serve you, be close to you. But then before you could really even get going, you ran into some huge problem or setback. It just seemed to block your way, throw a stick in your spokes. Well, that's what happened here when the children of Israel come to the Jordan River. And the Bible adds on the fact that it was the heavy spring rains during the early summer barley harvest, like our March or April. So the river is still badly swollen from all the rain and the melt-off. In fact, it says in verse 15 that the river is at flood stage. So wider, bigger, faster, more dangerous. Think of some of the footage we've seen recently, right, of, of Houston and Jacksonville. Well, that's what the Jordan River was. This, it's not a little placid little thing. It's a rushing torrent of muddy, brown, foaming water. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think God would pick the worst possible time with a new, young, inexperienced leader and a river at flood stage for them to cross over? I think this is why. Because if they can just hike through easily by, you know, pulling their britches up and prancing through like some cakewalk, then they don't need God. But at flood stage, they are literally in over their heads. They can't do this on their own. Unless God shows up, they're not doing anything. And God wants them to see, I'm real. I'm faithful to you. And you can do far more with me than you could ever do on your own. 
Whenever you come up to a river's edge and it's foaming and roaring like that, you got, you know, branches and refrigerators and minivans being swept away down a muddy, raging river in front of you. Everybody knows in that moment, man, only God can help you now. And friends, that's how God likes it. When you're in a position once in a while where you can't do it on your own and take credit and muscle through. But when we face a challenge so great or a burden so heavy or dream a dream for him that's so big that we're in over our heads, we have to say, only God. And it's in those moments when things look really impossible where we recognize how faithful God is and how much we need him. When you're told you have a tumor and things don't look good, you got a raging river in front of you, don't you? When your job goes away but your mortgage doesn't, you realize this one's too big for me by myself. When you've tried everything you know to do but you can't fix a strained relationship, one that means the world to you, you realize I'm in over my head. Anytime you're, you're in a place like that where, where the problems or challenges are bigger than you can handle, my friend, listen, that is a moment that God delights in because we can finally say with Paul, I will embrace my weakness because in my weakness, he is strong. And that's when we pray a simple prayer, help. And God really loves that prayer. And Mountain is the kind of faith family that has operated like that over and over again through the years. When we were just a little tiny, small church meeting in a log cabin structure, they dreamed of building a bigger building to welcome more people. And they put up that white clapboard church and it was right here in this space where I am. But they began to be, dream bigger, God-sized dreams. Things that were too big to accomplish on our own. What if we made more space? What if we built a big, significant stone building and welcomed more people? And we saved and we sacrificed back in those days. About 1954, the mountain people walked in faith from where I am now over to Walker Chapel. And it was a trust walk like that. And Mountain has done that kind of thing again and again and again. Asking these big questions. What if we did creative outreach? What if we reached the whole region? What if we planted churches? What if we built Cook Auditorium? What if we built the New Life Center? And on and on. A ministry that today reaches to the ends of the earth. But when you look at all of those dreams and things that God has helped us do, they were at the time huge and scary. We were in over our heads. You'd look at every one of them and you'd say, no way, you can't do that. No way. And when you're in a situation like that where you're tempted to say, no way, it allows God to come along and say, Yahweh. In fact, that's the name of God, Yahweh, because God can make a way where there seems to be no way. And that's one thing I love about Mountain. It's our willingness to let God do that by putting ourselves out there. At Mountain, we want to keep dreaming, dreams that are so big that if God is not in them, they will surely fail. If you're facing a moment when things look really impossible, sometimes you just got to quit staring at how big the river in front of you is. Start focusing on how big the God behind you is. So back in Joshua's day, what happens next tells us a lot about how God wants us to move through our own challenges today. They come to the river's edge 
and the water is moving swiftly and it's loud and roaring and over all the ruckus, the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant are being shouted at and their instructions come in verse 13 as they're told to just go ahead and set foot in the Jordan. And when you do, the waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So did you catch that? This river is roaring by at 80 miles an hour and God says, okay, hop in. And as soon as you do, I'll stop it. I wonder, what would you do? You know, there are certain moments in life where you just have to decide, do I really trust God? I think that's what God is asking. Will you obey me when it's scary, when you don't want to? I don't know about you, but I'd be like, okay, God, I got a different idea. I hear you saying I need to jump in first, but how about you go first? How about you build a bridge? How about you give me a boat or a rope swing or a trampoline, anything? Uh, Because uh, I'm kind of remembering what you did at the Red Sea where you parted the water first. And as soon as I can see that it's safe and dry like that and guaranteed I won't drown and don't need a life jacket or anything, then I'm ready to trust you. Sometimes we want our faith to be kind of safe comfortable but you know what real life with God isn't safe and comfortable faith is not comfortable in fact if your life with God is feeling super comfortable right now I have to deal with the fact in my life when that happens it means I'm probably not doing much of anything for God if you're feeling uncomfortable with the raging river in front of you don't run away here's what you do you do what they did you step into it you step into it What do you need to step into right now? See, sometimes God says, I've already shown you that I can be trusted. What I want to know is, can I trust you? And so this time around, he says in verse 8, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in that river. Step in. I know you're scared, but put your foot in. Commit. Trust. Here's something I've learned. There's always a river between where you are and where God wants you to be. Right now in your life, there's a river in front of you. It's probably uncomfortable or scary. It's dangerous or you feel for sure it'd be way over your head. And God's asking you to step into it. And he's saying, let me show you something. I want you to trust me. I know you're scared. Will you obey me? You can probably identify that thing that God is asking you to do that feels like that river and you're afraid of it. Could be a commitment he's asking you to make. Could be something related to unleash love as we get to the one-year mark to serve him more faithfully or trust him with your finances or to put a relationship completely in his hands. Sometimes God does part the water so you can go through. But sometimes God wants you to step into it That's how you give yourself an opportunity to have a real story to tell with God. Now back to Joshua. That's exactly what happened. Chapter 3, verse 15 and 16 says that as soon as those priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant got there, they did that. They they just stepped into it. They, They put their toe in the water and they started walking in and immediately the water was held up a great distance upstream. And the reason it stopped is because they stepped. God wants to do that in your life and mine. He wants to give you a story to tell. So step into it and trust that God 
will make a way. That's why they brought the stones into the picture. Chapter 4 tells how when the whole nation had finished crossing through, I mean, they all just marched right through on dry ground, just like the Red Sea. Then God said, choose 12 men from among the people, and every one of them, he wanted them to go down and pick up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, right where that miracle occurred. Take one, he said, and, and take it up on the bank and make a big pile out of that, those rocks, and Look back at that and let it stand as a reminder, a permanent monument to what God did here today. God said, let those stones speak. Let them tell the story of my faithfulness. And then I love when it gets down to verse 6, it says, in the future, your children are going to ask you, hey, what's that pile of stones? What do those stones mean to you? And then that's your opportunity. You tell them, oh, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you the story about those stones, because those stones speak about what God did. You see, one time we were stuck with a big old river raging in front of us. And there was no way forward, and we were so afraid. And God told us to trust in Him and step into it. And you know what? We did. And guess what? You'll never believe it. God stopped the river. He made a way through for us. He made a way when there was no way. And we were so happy that we grabbed these stones and we put them up as a memorial to say, we don't ever want to forget how faithful God is. And these stones speak and proclaim God's faithfulness. And then you would tell your little child asking the question, you'd say, here's why that's important. Because you're going to face a river of your own someday, a challenge in front of you. And it'll be scary and overwhelming and you'll be over your head and not know what to do. But here's what you do. You look at that pile of stones and you listen to them speak to you of what God has done in the past so you can be strong and courageous to trust Him with your future. When you face that raging river of challenge in front of you, that pile of stones shouts to you, step into it, and God will be there for you too. So look around mountain. If these stones could speak, they would say, God is faithful and you can count on him. And then they're going to ask you a question. Will you be faithful? Can God count on you?